When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we rank the 20 best Lord of the Rings characters. Hello, fellow Middle Earthians. Welcome back to the show. Anthony here. James here. Is Middle Earthians a term? You just got to. I just made did it. Did you up. just coin that? Yeah. Or I would call them like Tolkienites. Tolkienites. <laughs> Something like that. Either way, I like Middle Earth and Middle Earthians as I like well. It too. We are going to do a, a fun episode today where we're going to rank the top twenty Lord of the Rings characters and talk about each one individually. This is just pertaining to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, not really so much The Hobbit or anything else or the upcoming show, which we don't know much about, but it's just the three movies of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and we've been looking for a reason to do Lord of the Rings again. And we've been looking for a reason to dress up as Lord of the Rings characters, and if you're watching on YouTube, we are both dressed up as uh, Legolas or just elves from Markwood in general. I'm I'm not Legolas. I'm just I'm Anthony the Elf. You're Anthony yeah. the Elf. Antonius. That's a very elfish. Antonius. Antonius. <laughs> I am Antonius. <laughs> I'm just James from Markwood. <laughs> James from Boston. James You're from a Bo- Boston Elf. I'm a Boston Elf. Yeah, it's wicked pissy. You never die, kid. Yeah, I work part time at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Orcs are the worst. I'll be working there for the rest of my life forever. <laughs> But anyways, this is going to be a lot of fun, I think, because we love Lord of the Rings so much. We're always looking for excuses to talk about Lord of the Rings and bring it back up. We're still very excited about the show coming from Amazon. Was it this year or at the end of the year? I'm not sure. I think this year. I think it's the end of this year. And also, you know, we'll do the Hobbit trilogy at some point, but we just adore the franchise. We love the characters so much. There are so many memorable characters. That's one of the great strengths of the franchise of the of the trilogy of Lord of the Rings is really the characters and how much you grow to love them, even the villains. That's one of the reasons why I love it and why I think it's the best trilogy of all time because they're such memorable characters. And these are going to be legendary movies up until like the next hundreds of years. And I think what James, um, what uh, Peter Jackson did with this trilogy because he filmed them all basically as one movie essentially. And I think it's one of the greatest feats of directing ever done in history. And it will never be done again like this. Uh, what he achieved, the practicality of the filmmaking, the production over a, a year of shooting everything, doing it all back to back to back, and just crafting um, perfect adaptations of these dense, complicated novels. Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast, besides using our coupon codes, is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast, where you get awesome perks like personalized videos, Patreon shoutouts on the show, plus all patrons have access to our weekly bonus episodes. We also have a $10 and $25 tier. The $25 tier patrons have access to a custom 
Patreon episode that they get to choose. We'll do an episode for whatever topic you want. And also the other $10 tier as well as $25 tiers have access to our Discord, which we communicate with daily and have watch parties on. We also recently launched our podcast, Masterclass Online Course. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22-chapter, 46-video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of our show. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or just go to our website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com. It's right there on the homepage. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening. Leave those five-star reviews and high ratings on Spotify as well. Now let's get into Lord of the Rings character rankings. Now we have 20 characters as well as a couple honorable mentions, but the way we have the ranking set up is we're we're starting with number one. Let's get excited. We're, we're you know? coming in hot with yeah. this. We're just going firing on all cylinders today. We we're going to leave it as a surprise, but you know what? Let's reward you early yeah, on. And we want to shock people. Yeah, I think. we want to surprise you. I actually think a lot of people might agree with this choice as the number one character in Lord of the Rings, and it is <laughs> Samwise Gamgee. Yes, sir. Played by Sean Austin. This is a memorable role for the franchise. I think that he is the epitome of being a symbol for humanity, and uh, I think that he's the most good of all the characters. Oh, I completely agree, and I believe it's pronounced Sean Astin. Sean Astin. Not Austin, Thank Texas. You. I got you. Sorry, Sean. Sorry, Sean. And we know he's a, he's probably a patron. He was about to unsubscribe. Yeah, he was about to unsubscribe. <laughs> now, Sam, who is who is Sam Wise? He was Frodo Baggins' gardener and best friend. Sam proved himself to be Frodo's closest and most dependable companion, the most loyal of the Fellowship of the Ring, and played a critical role in protecting Frodo and destroying the One Ring. And I just want to shout out the Lord of the Rings wiki for some of the information we'll be getting and references for this episode. Uh, many regard Samwise as the greatest and true hero of Lord of the Rings. Tolkien himself expressed this view in one of his letters, regard, referring to him as the chief hero. Sam is impossibly humble, extremely loyal, very brave, and has immense strong willpower. It happens because of Sam, you could say more than anyone else, because whenever Frodo falls down or runs into a terrible conflict, Sam's always there to pick him up. To rescue him. To Literally make, or figuratively. Yeah, to make sure that the journey is complete. And I think that it also Frodo has a lot to do with it. Because Frodo purposely doesn't let Sam touch the ring or use the or, or carry the ring. Because if, if, if Sam had held on to the ring, he would have been corrupted by the power of the ring. And fallen into darkness from it. Just like Frodo is by the end of the trilogy. And you could say that if... Sam was helping carry the load of the ring, he might not have been able to finish the journey at that climax to really push Frodo over the edge. So allowing for, uh, Sam to hold on to his humanity by avoiding the ring, I think was an important part to play in the story. I could carry it for a while. <laughs> Share the load. Share the load. I completely agree. And the only time Sam is in possession of the ring is when he sneaks it off of Frodo's neck after he's been webbed by Shelob in order to protect the ring from the orcs and Uruquai who find Frodo's body. I love how Frodo's like, give it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> because you see the temptation of Sam when he's going to hand it back to Frodo, but he's like holding it very closely. He even pulls it into himself for a split yeah. second. And you think, oh, maybe is Sam about to be corrupted? Are we going to have a Smeagol versus his friend scene from the opening of of uh, the return of the king is going to be a similar scenario here. I see a lot of people though comment saying that they think that Sam could have destroyed the ring if he had it. Nobody, nobody, can nobody can destroy the ring. Nobody has the the will or power to completely uh, defeat the power in the pull of the ring. When the, if they make it to Mount Doom, if they make it into the pit, no one will be able to throw that ring in. Which is why. Tolkien being the genius writer he is, he figured out, like, the only way it could get destroyed is by accident. Yeah. Obviously, with Gollum accidentally 
falling into the lava with it. And so Sam, as good as he is, he would not have been able to destroy the ring. You can argue even if Frodo was like, here, you do it. I can't throw it in. Yeah. Sam probably would have been corrupted and probably would have pulled the ring back just like Frodo because the ring has powers. It would have fought back. It almost had Sam get corrupted if he wasn't looking at Frodo. If Frodo, his best friend, the person he cares about most in the world, wasn't telling him to give it to him and he knew it was the right thing to do. If and Maybe if Frodo wasn't there... Maybe at some point he would have put it on. Maybe if Frodo died, he would have at least put it on. Because let's say let's say after the orcs and Urukai kill, I mean, get Frodo. Let's say they kill him. Now it's up to Sam by himself to put the ring into the failed. into Mount Doom. Would have failed. 100%. Gollum would have gotten it back. Yeah, Gollum would have probably gotten it back, or he would have crept it, or he would have killed Gollum and kept it for himself and mm -hmm. become Gollum later on. Yeah. So I think that Sam never touching the ring except for those two instances and giving them giving it back immediately is what allowed him to hold on to that goodness. Nothing against him because he's just the, the power of the ring. He's the most pure character you could probably say of the film. And I have a list of some of his best moments I'd like to share with oh, you. Oh, there's a bunch. Let's hear him. First of all, just joining Frodo on his quest without hesitation, even though he's snooping and then Gandalf pulls him into the bag end and he's like, what are you doing? What did you hear? Oh, nothing much. I was just doing trimming the hedges or, or just something Just heard like about that. evil wizard, <laughs> end of the world. <laughs> he joins Frodo on the quest, no hesitation. He insists on, on accompanying Frodo to the end no matter what. He almost drowns just to continue the journey with Frodo at the end of Fellowship of the Ring. After the Fellowship gets broken up and Frodo takes one of the boats by himself, Sam comes swimming after Frodo, even though he can't swim, almost drowns and Frodo has to save him from the water. That's how much willpower he has. He'll risk and die, he'll risk and die drowning just to try to help. And then Jackson being a genius filmmaker like Tolkien being the perfect writer for this, he actually connected that moment of... Sam's hand, I mean, Frodo's hand reaching in for Sam to the end of the film, Sam's hand reaching down to Frodo to pull him up from the pit. And it's just a beautiful little bookmark from film one to film three. Nice little uh, bookend. Bookend, yeah. yeah. I said bookmark. Yeah. I meant bookend. You're all over the place today, man. Sean Austin, <laughs> bookmarks in movies. <laughs> hey, I am not perfect. You're doing you're doing your best. I also And Alvin, we speak differently from humans. <laughs> I also love how Sam has he always sees through Smeagol or Gollum, whichever persona is in control. He always calls him a villain. He's like he knows he's treacherous. He knows at some point he's trying to kill them. And just the sheer fact that even though Frodo's corrupted and convinced by Gollum and Smeagol, Sam has to go to bed every night trying to stay awake as long as he can because he knows Gollum's going to try to kill them at some point. Exactly. And then uh, he actually saves Frodo multiple times, including most notably saving him from Shelob, the giant spider, and then also rescuing him from the orcs who do capture him, and then saving him from Gollum as well. So he physically saves Frodo several times in the film. Not to mention the constant motivation that Samwise is also insisting upon Frodo. You know, Frodo at multiple times wants to give up. He wants to stop. But Sam, who's like trying to tell him, you know, there's still good in this world. We have to protect it. We have to save humanity. He has probably the most humanity and humility in the entire franchise. And then... One of the, probably his most final amazing act is carrying Frodo up Mordor. If I can't carry it, I I'll... can't carry you. <laughs> it's great. Something like that. I love it, yeah. yeah. Close enough. Close you did enough. a good job. And then after the war, Samwise marries Rosie Cotton, the, the woman he has a crush on, the hobby he has a crush on, the bartender. He has 13 children with her, and he eventually becomes the mayor of the Shire. They did not mess around. They For took real. no breaks. And poor he... Mary. <laughs> I mean, poor Rosie, I mean. <laughs> another one another another one 13 births jeez Goodness. but samwise is goaded he's amazing and he's arguably at the end of the franchise everyone stands sam the biggest hero of them all for real moving on to number two 
we have Aragorn LSR, played by Viggo Mortensen. Also, I want to do ages, so... Did you say he's 39 years old at the start of the quest for... I did not. Samwise is 39 years old at the start of Lord of the Rings. And then Aragorn is 87, 88 years old at the time of Lord of the Rings. He ends up dying at 210 years old, which means he reigned for king for as king for 122 years. Aragorn was a great ranger and warrior. He was Isidore's heir, and he bore the shards of Narsil, which was reforged and renamed Anduril. The sword. The sword, which was used in Return of the King. And he played a prominent role in the War for the Ring. And War of the Ring, when he was only two years old, his father, Arathorn, was killed while pursuing orcs. Aragorn was afterwards fostered by Elrond in Rivendell at the request of his mother in the books and everything. His lineage was kept secret. For his protection. For his protection yeah. until he was about 16 years old. And then Elrond revealed his true descendants, his true identity that he was the descendant of Isildur. And Aragorn, I think, is one of the greatest just hero characters we've seen in movies history. Vigo was absolutely perfect and it was a last minute casting where uh, they had already cast someone in, in the actor he was a little younger than he was i think he was in his late, either late 20s or early 30s and they filmed for two weeks with this guy and then peter jackson was not satisfied with aragorn that he picked and so they called up vigo last minute and were like hey we have this role can you come fly to new zealand start filming on this project and vigo at the behest of his son who was a big fan of the books convinced him to take the role he was literally learning the script while he was flying to New Zealand, and he had done no sword training at all. He did some practicing on his first day of filming because the first day that Vigo filmed was when he fought the wraiths on the mountaintop. Yes, excellent point. And also, the reason why Aragorn has such long life and why he's kind of like beyond human strength and intelligence is because he comes from the men of Numenor, which was an early race of man that was blessed with long life and among other things like like stronger than human strength and everything like that and since he's still from that line he's the last pretty much the last of that line although there are remnants of it for example Faramir lives to about 120 years old he's got some of that blood but you could say Aragorn is the last bloodline of the Numenair race which is why he lives so long so much longer than a normal human and it's also why he's such a great fighter I mean if you can picture like compared to like Captain America fighting normal people like he destroys them kind I mean, of obviously we don't, we don't we don't see like the superpower in the in the movies but that's why in the battles he does so well yeah like for example he's hard he's hard to kill in the battle of helm's deep i think it's described as aragorn and eomer and somewhere someone else they're such skilled fighters that even though they're in the thick of this intense battle they leave the battle unscathed like yeah. not a single mark yeah. on them in the books and everything that's why he's always like surviving these incredibly perilous and life-threatening situations surrounded by enemies and it's because he is so strong and capable and aragorn's very skilled fighter he's very brave honorable resilient also very humble which is what makes him a great king his best moments include saving the hobbits and guiding to them to rivendell with the help of arwen his relationship with arwen is one of my favorite parts of the trilogy joining the fellowship of course refusing the ring from frodo at the end of the fellowship of the ring because he knows he would be corrupted tracking Merry and Pippin and never giving up until they try to find until they find them eventually at Isengard and the constant defense of the hobbits throughout the trilogy respectfully and honorably declining Eowyn's affection his the battle at Helm's Deep he is absolutely incredible in but also when they were facing defeat he convinced the king and the survivors to just storm out let's just go out guns blazing let's do it let's go I trust in Gandalf he's gonna show up at some point uh summoning the army of the dead in the Return of the King to defeat the orcs, the Orkai and Orc army at Minas Tirith, 
which is the Fields of Pelennor battle, and then the final battle at the Black Gate for Frodo. For Frodo. So actually, for Frodo, going back to Sam, I forgot to mention that, like, I always feel bad for Sam because at the battle outside of Helm's Deep, everyone's like, Frodo, he did it! (laughs) It's like, oh, Sam's like, what about me, bro? There's so many good memes about that and everything. There's there's so many good ones of of just when Aragorn runs out ahead of everybody else, and he's like, for Frodo, everyone in the background's like, who the hell is Frodo? (laughs) Yeah, like the army, like, they don't know who he is. It was a secret mission. I I can't even hear what he's saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but also you could say one of his greatest moments or traits is he constantly trusts Gandalf. Mm-hmm. And by putting his trust in Gandalf, he, he ensures that he's on the right path of all, of all the places he needs to be and he's in the right positions to help fight the war. And he has a lot in common with a character like Maximus where he, he refuses power and he strays away from even taking up the throne, which is rightfully his. That's what makes him such a great leader and eventual king because he doesn't crave power. Yeah, exactly. He's the true king of Gondor, even though Denethor is ruling over Gondor as eating a tomatoes. steward eating tomatoes aggressively, <laughs> hating, like loving his son Boromir and just hating his son Faramir. <laughs> and they're they're technically they're not really princes, but they they you know yeah they're, they're the sons of the sons of the steward, and he's so. acting like he is actually king exactly yeah. so that's why they had to protect Aragorn's identity and then after the war um, he is king and rules for 122 years over Gondor not he bad <laughs> marries Arwen has a couple of children his son Eldarion eventually takes over as king once he passes away and dies and a year after he dies. Arwen passes away from a broken heart in Lothlorien. Uh, you know, even though Arwen became mortal to be with him, like they still lived like two hundred years. Yeah, like, like, it's not, it's not I bad. mean, she was she lived a couple thousand before. Yeah, it's so. not a bad deal to like after you get married, you you're still alive for another hundred twenty years. It's not like being today where you're probably gonna pass away at seventy seven yeah. if you're a dude <laughs> on average. Yeah, it's like oh, uh, two hundred ten years. I mean, still at two hundred ten years, I'd be like, it's all right. Is it time? Like, <laughs> kind of bored. How many times can I watch The Office? Kind of bored. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Tareth is a cool palace and castle, but I mean, there's not much to walk around. on. <laughs> <laughs> But um, Aragorn, I love, and Vigo was absolutely perfect. I can't imagine anyone ever playing that character in, I'm sure, future adaptations that will happen decades from now. So we'll try. Next up at number three, we have Gollum and Smeagol, played memorably by Andy Serkis in the mo-capture technology that was enhanced and created for this movie so brilliantly. And Gollum is 589 years old. He lived so long because the ring kept him alive as he kept it hidden with himself inside the caves. And I just, I think that Gollum is an incredible villain. And he adds so much to the second and third films that the first film didn't have in terms of antagonists. Yeah, he's just teased in the first film. Like him in the uh, Misty Mountains and then losing the ring and you just hear his screaming, but it's just the, the CGI. But this is before they started. They did the leotard motion capture, you could say, in the second film. And then the third film, they went with the full motion capture, developing the technology, him wearing cameras. Now, Gollum, originally named Smeagol, was at first a store, which is one of the three early Hobbit types. So a creature similar to a Hobbit. And he got the name Gollum. It was derived from the sound of his gurgling, choking off Gollum, Gollum, Gollum. Gollum. And like Anthony said, he was 589 years old because of the effects of possessing the ring, which is why you can assume someone like Bilbo or Frodo would have turned into something very similar as Gollum Smeagol if they possessed the ring that long. Yeah, and Peter Jackson actually even filmed the sequence of Frodo seeing the future when he is with Galadriel, and part of that sequence was him 
seeing that he, if he held on to the ring and ran away with it, he would become like Gollum. Yeah, and why did the ring leave Gollum? It just wanted, it, it wanted to be, to be found by it somebody else. It has power else. in it itself. It has power yeah. in, just by, you know, you could say the power of the ring and fate, it eventually left Gollum, was got, come into possession by Bilbo Baggins, but Gollum and Smeagol's main desire is to repossess the ring, which ironically enslaved him, and you could say he suffered the most from the ring than anybody else, and ironically, he wants it more than anyone. Yeah, you could say he's he suffers more than anyone, and for centuries he suffers. Suffers away, toil and, and melts away, and becomes a, a monster, uh, a, a true monster compared to his former self. And I love the, the opening, the origins, Gollum origins, origins. that we see. In uh, the opening of the third film, I thought it was a very smart way to start the third film with Schmeagel's backstory of how he found the ring, came into possession of it, and it showed how dark and how much of a evil grip the, the ring can have on someone where uh, he immediately, without hesitation, kills his best friend to possess the ring. Yeah. And I get another irony is that even though he suffered the most from it and wants it the most, he eventually is the cause of its destruction by accident. At Very the ironic. Third film. Yeah, Gollum has a lot of great moments. Some of them, and some of them from the perspective of an antagonist. Some of them from the perspective of a protagonist and a hero in a way. So, first of all, I think some of his more nefarious best moments are gaining the trust of Frodo as Smeagol takes control of the mind. He also saves Frodo multiple times. He saves him at the marshes, saves him at the Black Gate. He also saves him at the bottom of that windy staircase. And it's Smeagol who's saving him. Sa yeah. yeah, Smeagol's saving him, but although the third one, you can argue that Gollum and Smeagol are working together and they yeah. don't want him to die yet. And I really love the, the, the split personality performance from Andy Serkis. He puts so much into the character development of each character. Just the subtle differences and nuances between how they sit and move and speak and their their expressions. And I, I adore those scenes where Smeagol and Gollum are speaking to one another. And the way Jackson edits it is he just frames it like they're two characters, but it's really just one character. Who you could say is like he turns his head to speak as Smeagol, then he turns his head the other way to speak as Gollum back and forth. But the way Jackson edits it, we don't see that. We just see cut to cut to cut of each shot. Yeah, that's the two towers that in yeah. the Return of the King, they have the one, the conversation between them where he's looking into the reflection mm -hmm. of the water. And then Gollum's in the water and Smeagol is uh, not in the water, just looking, we yeah. see the shot of him outside of the reflection. Moon Knight style. And if you notice closely, the pupils of the eyes, you can tell who which character it is. So Gollum's pupils are very small. The blacks of his eyes are very small when it's him in control of the body, whereas Smeagol's pupils are a lot larger. The blacks are a lot larger when he's in control of the body. And also the physicality circus is more hunched over and in a posture that shows weakness when he's... Smeagol. And then as Gollum, he's got his chest puffed out and chin up higher, and he has a much more stronger, he's a stronger, more fortified stance generally. You could argue that also one of the most important moments of the trilogy is when Gollum is betrayed, Smeagol's betrayed by Frodo when he tells him that that's, this um, yeah. creature is bound to me, and he betrays him. And he lets him get captured because that's when Gollum takes control of the body and convinces Smeagol to we have to kill them and get the ring back because you thought you could trust him, but you actually can't. And Frodo was just trying to protect him. Yeah. yeah so it was a misunderstanding. And I also love the sequence of him leading them up the staircase is really phenomenal. The The plan of, of leaving Frodo to be killed by Shelob is actually very clever and intelligent. And then also accidentally destroying the ring is one of the most surprising moments on the first viewings of The Return of the King. Yeah, because the first time I saw that, I was like, oh my God, how's it going to happen? And then it happens as an accident and it's, it's like i said earlier it's, it seems like it's the only logical way that it could ever get destroyed by accident yeah because when frodo puts it on and you're like no 
And you're, he's got that evil face. He's like, the ring is mine. You have the same exact... <laughs> you, you feel the exact same emotions as Sam. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. No. Frodo. What the hell? <laughs> but, but Gollum's like, oh, no. This is not over yet, man. It's great. And, you know, Frodo... He's not really in the first film, but he's such a strong character. He's so integral to what makes this trilogy a masterpiece. Oh, Gollum? I, I mean, oh, what did I say? You said Frodo. Oh, sorry. You're like, Frodo's not really in the first film. Smeagol and like, Gollum. Oh, sorry. Gollum's not much in the first film, but what he brings to the second and third films makes him... He's so important of a character and such a great character. We have in number three because of his impact on the story. Yeah, in, because the Hobbits... Uh, he's the he's the main antagonist for these two hobbits by the for the second and third films. Whereas you know the evil elf as a whole is more their antagonist in the for the other characters. And so I think it was important to have like a physical villain for Frodo and Sam to be up against at all times for the second and third films. Absolutely agree. This episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast is brought to you by our friends Zavi, the home of pop culture. Use our coupon code RAIDERS at Zavi.com, Z-A-V-V-I.com to get discounts on all sorts of merch, collectibles, and clothing. And if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you're going to want to make a visit to their site. There are tons of products inspired by the classic movie trilogy that are able to buy and pre-order now. From clothing and collectibles to the recently released 4K Ultra HD upgrade of all six films in the Middle Earth saga. They also have some great gifts you can pre-order right now, including this collectible Sauron statue from Nemesis Now, this collector's crate with three exclusive items and replicas, and awesomely designed Frodo and Sauron snow globes. You don't need to trek all the way to Mordor to find the best gifts. Just head straight to Zavi. We actually got a lot of great stuff from Zavi, including I got this awesome Shire sweatshirt. I got a One Ring to Rule Them All sweatshirt. We got a complete Middle-Earth six-film Blu-ray collection, extended editions as well. The whole box set, we have uh, this little Frodo figure, which I love. And then my favorite thing is I have the Witch King right here. Look at this figure. It's an amazing, high-quality figure. This is, like, my favorite thing that I have on set It's pretty now. cool. It's, it's like your insane. personality. Evil. Yeah. <laughs> we also got this awesome doormat, and it's a map of Gondor in Rohan. They also just dropped their brand-new Fantastic Beasts clothing line, which has a ton of options for all you fans of the Wizarding World. So head to Zavi.com. That's Z-A-V-V-I.com. Use our coupon code RAIDERS at checkout to get discounts today. All right, moving on to number four, we have Gandalf the Grey, also Gandalf the White, who is roughly about 24,000 years old, young. He was created at the beginning of time, so he's as old as time in the world. Gandalf the Grey, originally named Olorin, was... Dude, a, we're going to get so much hate for was Ishtar dispatched <laughs> to Middle Earth. We're going to get a one-star review. So, <laughs> I, I can't stand these pronunciations of these guys who don't know what they're talking about. Olorin. We're doing our best, all right? He was dispatched to Middle Earth to combat the threat of Sauron. So that's why he was created. That's why the Ishtars are put there. Same thing with Saruman at some point. He also, we all know, joined Thorin Oakenshield and his company to reclaim the Lonely Mountain from Smaug. Smaug. In the Hobbit trilogy and books and then he has an important role in the fellowship of the ring to destroy the one ring in the war of the ring and then ian mckillen i think ended up becoming you could say the main face of the franchise in a way uh, you he i could say most people might say he's their favorite ian's prefer performance i'd i would say is the best performance of all the films uh, as gandalf he steals every scene he's in he feels like the the father figure for everyone 
he has an immense amount of knowledge and he's someone the characters are always looking to for help and assistance and he has he messes up he fails and he he has his bad moments but then he always recovers and he ends up becoming an important leader for the entire fight yeah that's actually a great point of all the characters if you cut them from the story gandalf's probably the most missed because like you said he does light up every scene you can't help but love everything gandalf does even the mistakes he makes like trusting saruman he has many great moments, and I made a list of him as well. So I Let's think hear it. Bill Bell's farewell party and his 11, 111th birthday is really great and terrific. The fireworks are a lot of fun. Also, his refusal of the ring from Bilbo is really important because if someone as powerful as Gandalf has possession of the ring, he will 100% be corrupted by it, and he will be an incredibly dark wizard power that everyone else would have. Probably to. like as, almost as powerful as Sauron Probably pretty in a close. lot of ways. His escape from Isengard is also incredible. After he is defeated by by Saruman and placed at the top of the tower in prison, he's saved by the Eagles. That's just an epic escape. Also, the Mines of Moria, he just shines like a light, a bright light in the darkness. First of all, one of the most iconic moments of the trilogy is when he stops the ball rag and he says, You shall not pass! Absolutely epic line and visual of that situation. Then at the beginning of the two towers, as he's fallen and dragged down, and he is battling the ball rag, then he defeats this demon hand-to-hand combat with a sword. A lightning sword. A a lightning sword. (laughs) But it's absolutely epic, one of the most badass moments in the entire trilogy. It also has my favorite shot from the whole trilogy of when they're both falling in that gigantic cavern with like a lake inside of it, and then the glow of the Balrog is lighting it up, and then Gandalf's just falling right above. It's I think it's the best frame of the entire trilogy. It's such a great opening because when we were 10 years old and we watched this for the first time, yeah. we never read the books. We didn't know what happens after G- Gandalf gets dragged down. It was a great spot to end the first film and then to open it up with what happened to Gandalf when he fell down. We thought he died or something like that. I can't remember if, if we saw the trailers for the Two Towers. I'm sure he was in there. Dude, them. I'm, I think we saw. I think we grew up during like the best time for like big budget movies. Oh, 100%. Like these movies were coming out back yeah, then. Yeah, like Spider-Man. It was, yeah. it was epic. I think they're better than the modern movies for big studios movies back then oh absolutely absolutely yeah, we were very lucky we, this is an, an, er, an epic era like, that will never happen we again. were 11 years old and we saw lord of the rings the two towers in theaters all three of them yeah it was wild it was pretty incredible and so that's just a great way to open the film other great moments include returning as gandalf the white which is an epic reveal because you think gandalf is dead then he tells the story uh, this is like a little like nonlinear storytelling right here a little goes, Tar- tarantino a little tarantino he explains to them how he what happened to him and then we have freeing Theoden from his curse that Saruman had on him with the help of Wormtongue. Oh, sorry. I, I think just for when he's telling, telling the story after he, they, he reveals himself to be Gandalf the White, I think some people get a little confused about why he doesn't really remember too clearly. Mm-hmm. It's because he's 24,000 years old. He's experienced so much life. Plus, he's, you know, you could say a an, an different dimensional being who's being put on Earth. So time for him is not like time for us. Plus, I mean, we'll explain the reason why he comes back as Gandalf the White is he has to replace Saruman now. So you could say that Gandalf the Grey, in a way, his spirit maybe died when he after he defeated Balrog. Reset, but he was he basically he was he was reset and sent back yeah. to Middle Earth as Gandalf the White because Saruman had lost his 
he he'd lost he'd become corrupt by the he's not no longer the white wizard no longer the, the white wizard yeah. so now Gandalf is back as the white wizard to set balance and to help battle Sauron exactly so that's why he comes back as Gandalf the white pretty good for a couple of film bros yeah yeah not bad not bad <laughs> someone's typing oh they got it wrong <laughs> I'm waiting for it we also love the moment when he shows up to the battle of Helm's Deep at the end of the two towers look to the east at dawn Look to the east. <laughs> Absolutely epic moment because you think all is lost at Helm's Deep, and then Aragorn remembers what Gandalf told him, convinces, like Andy said, Theoden to ride out, ride with me. That and it's absolutely epic. And then down they just the hill, oh destroy my God. them with the sun coming up. It's great. And the Battle of Minas Tirith is where you could say that Gandalf shows off his um, combat prowess leadership. the most. His leadership. Yeah. We get a little magic when yeah. he before the battle when he has to cast away the um the the Nazgul with the ring rates riding that's a really mm-hmm. great moment as well saving the riders and just in general the battle of Minas Tirith is really vital role for Gandalf to be there because um Denethor is so corrupted by his insanity and desire to kill his own son after the death of Boromir his other son Faramir Gandalf has to basically be the leader of Minas Tirith and Gondor at the time yeah it's a it's a great sequence i love just those moments of the the dragon creatures. I can't remember what they're called, but just... Nazgul, I just said Nazgul, it. sorry. Just attacking the city. One-star review. Uh, <laughs> can't and, remember what the dragons are called. <laughs> and I, I, and you could say Gandalf is like uh, opposite to uh, like the Witch King in a lot of ways, as in terms of being like chess pieces for each side. Kind of, even though the Witch King doesn't really do much besides Well, no, he's, for his... If we're looking at his perspective, yeah, yeah, he's, he's like probably a, doing a ton. He's like, yeah, he's a general. He's the Gandalf of the evil kind side. Of, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Gets messed up. <laughs> messed up, man. <laughs> Let's move on to number five. We have Frodo Baggins, who is 51 years old in Lord of the Rings. Frodo Baggins, son of Drogo Baggins, was a hobbit of the Shire in the late Third Age. He is commonly considered Tolkien's most renowned character for his leading role in the quest of the ring. Frodo was When Frodo was 12 years old, his parents drowned in a boating accident on the Brandywine River. As an only child, he stayed in Brandy Hall until his 99-year-old uncle Bilbo adopted him. Bilbo took Frodo to live with him in his home at Bag End and then made him his heir. And that's why he and Bilbo are so close. And also, for Bilbo, I mean, with Frodo and Gandalf, there's actually a huge time jump that we don't see in the movie but happens in the book. But after they have that great conversation about the ring inside Frodo's home, and he says, keep it hidden, keep it safe. It takes 17 years for Gandalf to actually come back to Hobbiton to after he's learned what this ring is. Um, he's discovered it after years of research, and then he comes back to Frodo 17 years later. So there's a big time jump in the books that we don't see in the films. May I correct you about something before someone s- screams a one-star review at oh, us? Yeah, yeah. Hobbiton is just like the set. <laughs> In New Zealand, it's called the Shire. <laughs> oh my God, that's so right. It's okay. Don't it worry. says it on my sweatshirt. I know, I the Shire. <laughs> you said Hobbiton. I'm like, that's just the set. <laughs> well, you can visit Hobbiton. The Shire. It's the Shire. Oh bro. my bad. Bag end. <laughs> Thank you for saving us from getting another one star review. We're gonna get so many bad reviews from this episode. <laughs> but it's okay, man. It's okay. And it's, it's that's why when you look up how old Bilbo is in Lord of the Rings in the movie. It's a, his 111th birthday, but technically in the book, he's like 128, 129 when the quest starts, but he's 111 because of that 17-year difference. So when you look it up— When he's in Rivendell. In the movie, yeah. he's just 111 years old because they yeah. can't explain like how he's 17 years older yeah. in the movie. They, there's no, there's just, no need to. There's no need to, yeah. exactly. That's why if you look it up, he's, there's two different they ages. They just show Gandalf go to like a library and then go see Sauron, and then that's it. <laughs> but it, it's really 17 years. In the years. restricted yeah. section. <laughs> but Frodo is 
you could is uh, a hero to the to the quest. You know, he's so important to the film and to the story. His acceptance of the responsibility of the ring and acceptance of the quest is so honorable. Just to take that responsibility, being knowing, the one to be like, I'm going to do it. No, he could volunteering. Die. Just the fir- not even just not at even at the Council of Alron, but just at sh- the Shire when Gandalf convinced him like, you have to do this. I can't do it. It has to be you. You have to take this to Rivendell. And then he announces at the Council of Elrond when everyone else is fighting about the ring and who shall take it to Mordor and what to be done about it. He announces that he will take the ring to Mordor. This hobbit amongst all these other beings, more powerful beings, he'll take it to Mordor. And he says, I'll just, I'll do it by myself if you don't want to help me. And he's also the only character who actually sees what the possible future could be if the ring falls back into the hands of Sauron. So he, more than anyone else, I mean, everyone everyone knows like the world's at, ri- world's at risk, but Galadriel shows him the future and he sees the enslavement of every free being on Middle-earth and the rule of Sauron across the entire planet. And so he understands how grave of a situation this is and now. Yeah, just taking on the responsibility of Ringbearer itself is maybe the most powerful act of anybody in Lord of the Rings. Also, when the Fellowship breaks up, he decides to go on alone by himself after Boromir sacrifices himself to save Frodo and the other hobbits, and Aragorn is defending him. He's like, I got to get out of here. I just got to continue the journey. I don't want any more of my friends to die because of me, because of this ring. I'm just going to go to Sol what happens happens you could say he's the most brave character him and sam it's, yeah. up, it's up there Bravest, between the yeah. two of them and you could say that if frodo wasn't so corrupted and broken down psychologically by the ring later on he would have been his he would have maybe had more more uh bravery and just more trust in samwise he, yeah he is an extremely good well-meaning character and has an incredibly big heart and we see that in the first film saving samwise yeah. is one of his best moments and then Mordor and Mount Doom obviously bringing the ring there. But I think one of my favorite moments of Frodo is after Sam saves him from the orcs and after he's been uh, attacked by Shelob in the third one. And he apologizes to Sam immediately. And it's like the warmest thing that Frodo said in like two movies. And he doesn't have the ring on him. He doesn't have the ring on him. that's why. But his apology to Sam is so pure and so innocent. And yeah, you're right. Because he doesn't have the ring on him anymore, he can actually be empathetic and be... Come to his senses. Yeah, and just be sorry. It's a really, I think, powerful moment between the two of them. And I think he gets underrated for how good of a character he is in his heart because of the corruption of the ring and also because of his friendship with Gollum Schmeagol. Because as the ring's corrupting him, he ends up being turned against Sam by Gollum because when he looks at Gollum and Schmeagol, he doesn't see Gollum, he he sees Schmeagol. And he sees... Someone who understands what he's going through because Smeagol went through it for centuries. The corruption of the ring, how it sink, it sucks out your the, all the goodness within you. And so that's why he makes a connection to Smeagol and tends to favor Smeagol over Sam in many situations because they have a connection of being through the same circumstances and going through the same pr- hardship. You don't see it, do you? He's a villain. <laughs> <laughs> But we love Frodo. And then obviously the destruction of the ring, him bringing it to the tip of that little cliff. Getting in, it in there. In, yeah. in Mount Doom. It's just enough. Like maybe no one else could have done it in the entirety of Middle Earth. That's how great of a character Frodo is. I mean, is. he crossed Mount, uh, he crossed Mordor like in, in disguise. Like uh, he did so much. Yes, he tried to take the ring at the end and decided not to destroy it. But that's like we said, nobody has the ability to destroy the ring. Next up, at number six on this list, we have the big bad of the franchise, Sauron the Deceiver, who is described 
as old as time. He is the main antagonist of the Middle Earth saga. We get to see him in a couple of flashbacks. The movie opens, the fellowship opens with this amazing battle sequence where we see the, the size, the might, the power of Sauron in the flesh, which I really love. And then, obviously, for the rest of the films, we see him as the fiery eye above the tower in Mordor. And Sauron, I think, is, the, is a, just a, a symbol for pure evil. Exactly. Sauron was the greatest subversive Maya, the maker of the One Ring, a gifted student of the Vala Ule, and the most trusted lieutenant of Morgoth. We all know who Morgoth is. Big Mor- Morgoth fans oh, over yeah. here. He's the second Dark Underrated Lord character. And sought to conquer Middle-earth in Numenor. And he, at the end of the Second Age, like Eddie said at the beginning of the first film, was defeated in the War of the Last Alliance of Elves and Mend. And in the final battle, Isildur managed to cut the One Ring from him, dismantling Sauron's corporeal form and ridding him of much of his power and after centuries of lying dormant rebuilding strength and stirring awake evil things Sauron returned to power late in the third age and so this is kind of like a Voldemort situation where he's he's defeated but he still exists in like the ether spiritually his existence is never ending you could call the ring a horcrux exactly until the ring is if the ring is never destroyed he will always exist and be alive essentially so in order for to destroy sauron the one ring has to be destroyed and it can only be destroyed in mount doom and that opening sequence it's important to show in that battle the power of sauron like when he's fighting these soldiers He's just bashing like dozens at a time with each blow. Like the amount of power he has, it's so destructive. And Jackson was very smart where he's like, I'm going to show you the the villain of this movie, not just as this eye on the tower and this undefined power within a ring. I'm going to show you what he's really like in person. It's the first thing you're going to see when you watch these, this franchise. I thought it was a great way to approach it. Exactly. And even though we don't see a body form of Sauron until after that, there's obviously the great deleted scene where, you know, Aragorn support, like fights Sauron and we have the mouth of Sauron, but we always just see the eye of Sauron. But even though we don't see his body form, the evil of Sauron is in every scene, every moment, every set. Whispering. It's, it's all over yeah. the place, through characters, through battles, through the orcs, the Urkai, everyone. Saruman, you can just see the evil of Sauron everywhere. And we also hear his voice many times, especially whenever Frodo puts on the ring, and you can hear that disturbing voice of Sauron seeing Frodo, I see you. It's just terrific. And in terms of that deleted scene, it's it's a deleted character. So when Aragorn battles that giant um troll, troll in the battle sequence that outside of outside of the Black Gate, originally they filmed that as Sauron Sauron, he's he brought back to his um in in the flesh form for this battle. And then he, it's there's literally footage of it and photos of it online where Aragorn's fighting a real person like a stuntman in this outfit as Sauron. But they felt that it didn't really work with the climax of the story and didn't really make sense. It's not what happens in the books. So they ended up CGIing a troll over Sauron's body for that entire fight sequence. And so Aragorn ends up fighting a troll instead of Sauron. I think it works a lot better. Yeah. I even think the eye of Sauron isn't really a thing in the books either, is it? I can't remember. I believe so, yeah. It's, it definitely is. But either way, I love that aspect of it visually because you have to see the villain. You have yeah. to see the antagonist it's an, it's an It's a part of the iconography of Lord of the Rings is seeing that fiery eye on the tower. Exactly. Now, how about we head on into our intermission before we continue? Because we still have uh, 13 left, I believe. Sounds wonderful. Left. Sounds wonderful. Now, let's head on into our intermission and begin with our movie quote competition. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. 
But Mrs. Mulray, I goddamn near lost my nose, and I like it. I like breathing through it, and I still think you're hiding something. Jack Giddies in Chinatown. JJ, <laughs> sir. I love that. All right, here's my quote. If, if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to abuse one. Oh, that sounds so familiar. Um, doubt? Close. You're on the right track. Um... If it takes a village, oh, oh, um, 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 I know he knows this. It, he knows it. What's it called? What's the, what's crap. the name? What's the name? Crap spotlight. Yes, spotlight. Spotlight. Kid. Fucking spotlight guy. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking Boston spotlight. Boston Nuts guy. Oh, Boston Globe guy. Yeah, kid. <laughs> Good one. The Hulk is a reporter. <laughs> <laughs> so is and, Batman. And <laughs> the Vulture is a reporter. <laughs> Doctor Strange's wife is a reporter. <laughs> so many MCU people in that movie. Holy yeah, well, crap. Yeah, they, everyone's in an MCU movie That's nowadays. That's crazy. Yeah. I just realized that. I'm sure there's someone else I'm forgetting. All right, guess this movie release year. Ransom. Ransom? <laughs> is that you? Ransom. Is this with uh, Mel Gibson? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, that's a good one. Um, It's not the revenge one. That's a different movie. That's payback. Yeah, payback. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going um 2003. 1996. Oh, I was way off. Way off, dude. Way off. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. Guess this movie release year. Defiance. With Daniel Craig and, and Liev Schreiber. Schreiber. I did a Liev Schreiber. 2008. Yes. Nice. Good job. Got it. Excellent. Nailed it. All right. Um, who directed, movie pop quiz time, who directed The Faculty? <laughs> oh, man. The classic horror. From the oh, 90s. man. Uh, this is a tough one. I don't know. I'm going Wes Craven. Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez? Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Good now quiz. You, now you do. <laughs> that, that serves. That's right. <laughs> you sure are right about that. <laughs> okay. Next up, my quiz question is: What Jonathan Demi movie did Liev Schreiber star in? You went Liev Schreiber today, huh? Yep, all Liev Schreiber. Jonathan Demi and Liev Schreiber. Man. Did you know his brother is uh, Master Chief in Halo? Liev's brother? Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, they look a lot alike. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I don't know. What is it? Manchurian Candidate. Oh, man! <laughs> oh! <laughs> good one totally got me yeah you, yeah, I know I, I I was like this might trick him that's a, that's a good movie yeah it's a great it's such a good movie I love it I love that movie Jonathan Demme could be the most underrated director in American history it's pretty great yeah R.I.P. Um, who we got for haters this week we got some unsubscribes this is my favorite who we got Any, anything fun <laughs> one second Oh, I didn't. Shit, I didn't get any unsubscribes. That's all good. Um. Oh, I have, I have a, I have a hater. I have a hater here. We got. <laughs> That's a good one. 
We, we got dad. Hold on, hold on. I, like, it's such a dad thing to do. He's like, oh, I got. I'm trying to think of the. I got. I got to tell you something. Trying to think of it. I know. Just, he just sits there and chews. He like, knows salad. what he's gonna say. He chews salad for like ten seconds. He's just waiting. What? What is it? I'm trying to. Okay, got it. Okay, on TikTok we had a hater. I posted a clip about Drax's makeup in Guardians and how it only takes him. It only took ninety minutes to put the makeup on him. For volume three, yeah, for volume two, Let's and uh, someone commented mildly interesting. <laughs> so I wrote, "Sorry, we didn't match your standards, your high standards of entertainment on TikTok." <laughs> mildly entertaining. I thought it was a pretty good fact. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, man, you, you're great at your job. I appreciate. Don't it. let anyone bring you down. Oh, besides, besides me, <laughs> there's no stopping that. We have a great five star review from Deadhead Two Seven Seven. The real deal. These guys are becoming a part of my daily routine. I used to be a Howard Stern listener, but after I found these guys that all ended, their content is great, consistent, and fresh. I love their insight and their back and forth. Great to learn about actors, production, hidden Easter eggs, and films. I really enjoy when they do their list or do deep dive on an actor or director. Keep it up, gents. Jake K. Thanks, Jake. Thanks. We, Such, we dethroned Howard Stern. I like it. Such a nice thing love to that. say. We love the review. Thanks for tuning in in for the five stars. And our Godfather shout-out for today is Sean Ferguson. Sean! Sean. He became a Godfather became today. A Godfather. On our Lord of the Rings episode, we're announcing your Godfather thank status. You, thank you for being a Godfather. Sean picked a great episode for his uh, Godfather episode. It's going to be a ranking of the Hans Zimmer scores. Oh, yeah. So we're going to rank them all. Maybe not all of them. There's like 180 maybe, credits. Maybe like the top 20. Top, top, let's do top 25, yeah. Because yeah, he's got like almost 200 credits. It's a lot. But Sean's been a fan of the show for a very long time. He's been a supporter of the show for a long time. We really appreciate you. We love interacting with you on social media. And thank you so much for being a patron. Patreon literally allows James and I to do the show full time. It's important for us. So we try to make great content on Patreon that's not available on anywhere else that you all can enjoy. And we we love chatting with you on Discord. We love doing watch parties with you. So thank you so much for being a Godfather patron. Thanks, Sean. On this day in film history, today is April 28th in 1967, Casino Royale is released. In That's... 1986, Soviet TV news program Remya announces a nuclear accident at Chernobyl nuclear power station two days after the event. This was remade. Two days after. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah remember the, the yeah. miniseries what Chernobyl. What a great show. What a great show. 2006, Hard Candy and United 93 are released. In 2011, Bridesmaids is released. In 2019, TV series Game of Thrones the Long Night episode debuts with the longest battle ever screened, nearly 80 minutes long, surpassing Lord of the Rings Battle of Helm's Deep, 44 minutes long. That's so freaky that that was in this today state on so this episode. So weird. Did not plan that. Wow. Happy birthday to Penelope Cruz and Jessica Alba and the, the late Oscar Schindler in real life. was, it was It's his birthday today. Wow. Amazing. Speaking of Chernobyl, I'm going to put that as my streaming recommendation for you to watch. It's on HBO Max. It's six parts. It's an amazing miniseries. I think it's one of the best um, shows of television ever produced. It's really remarkable. Check it out if you haven't seen it. I also have an HBO Max recommendation. It's this small independent feature called The Batman. <laughs> ever heard of it? Oh, is it like another one of those indie Robert Pattinson movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like one of those weird indie movies. Where he, he plays did. some psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Batman technically is a psycho. But, oh, absolutely. Um, watched it for the fourth time last night. It was pretty great. I heard it. And I, I heard it. I was I was doing Italian in my room, and then I heard the music. You heard the Riddler opening. Yeah, the Riddler scene. opening. I heard Ave Maria. I'm like, okay, hold on. Let me finish this lesson real quick. That I bought. I came out and watched it. Watch like, like, yeah, I, I'm going to watch the opening at least. It was so awesome. It was so awesome. I think the Batmobile, I just blasted it. It was so fun. <laughs> 
So, so great. Loved it. If you think hobbit's feet are hairy, then you don't want anyone to know what kind of a monstrous beast you are underneath your clothing. So that's why you should head to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost to get 20% off your Lawnmower 4.0 groomer today, as well as free shipping worldwide. The Lawnmower 4.0 groomer, we've been talking about it for so damn long. If you don't have one yet, I don't know what you're doing with your life. What are you just, you still going down there with scissors or something? Like, geez, this thing is a rocket ship for grooming needs. It's skin safe, 7,000 RPM motor. It, it has a wireless charger. It's got a light you can use in the shower. It's waterproof. It's absolutely amazing. I also recommend getting the ultra premium collection from Manscaped, which includes deodorant, body wash, two-in-one shampoo, conditioner, hydrating body spray, as well as a free set of Manscaped lip balm. So head to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Get free shipping as well with 20% off your entire order. Join the over 2 million men worldwide who are trusting Manscaped with their daily grooming needs. Get that stuff now. Our episode is also sponsored by our great friends at MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online. Use our special promo code there, Raiders10, to get 10% off your movie poster order today. If you want some posters of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, as well as all sorts of classics, superhero movies, whatever your movie taste and TV taste is, MoviePosters.com has you covered with their gigantic selection. They also have all sorts of sizes, framing, backlight, whatever your poster needs are, they got it. Again, head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code, you know it, Raiders10, to get 10% off that order today. Let's get back into this episode on Lord of the Rings characters. We left off at number six with Sauron the Deceiver. Let's move on to number seven with Legolas Greenleaf, who is about 200... I love how just American his name sounds. Legolas Greenleaf. (laughs) No, Greenleaf. Dickie Greenleaf. Uh, His age is 2,931 years old. Legolas was a Sindar elf who was part of the Fellowship in the Third Age, son of Elven King Threat. Thrandall of Mirkwood. Legolas was Mirkwood's prince, a messenger, and a master archer with his keen eyesight, sensitive hearing, and excellent bowmanship. Legolas was valuable to the Fellowship in the journey across Middle-earth. He also became best buds with Gimli. Yes, despite their long-held differences. And this was... uh, What's his name? What's the actor? Orlando Bloom? Orlando Bloom. This was his first ever role, and he actually got cast as Legolas while he was still in drama school. Which is unbelievable. The guy was doing Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean at the same time over a period of like six or seven years, which is wild. He had one of the craziest decades in franchise yeah. movie history. He's, it's, he's up there for sure. And I love Legolas. He was always my favorite player in the video game to play as because I love the bows and I love the two swords he had. Super fun to play with. And he's just so cool. I love his abilities, his ability for uh, sight, which is he can see dozens and dozens of miles ahead of him. He is an extremely talented um fighter and archer i think we've had a lot of great archers in movies especially in the last 20 years i think legolas is my favorite but so the reason for why legolas is even at the council of elrond and gets involved in the fellowship is because he's there as a messenger from his father to discuss the escape of Gollum, which at the beginning of fellowship of the ring he was being tortured at uh mordor and that's when he screams out the names Baggins! Baggins! that's why legolas was there at the council of elrond and then when the fellowship was being, when the council was happening, he uh, volunteered to represent the elves and then became one of the members of the Fellowship of the Ring to destroy the One Ring. You have my bow. <laughs> I think that the friendship he and Gimli form over the trilogy 
is really full of a lot of heart because, you know, they're enemies. They don't see eye to eye. Their people have been fighting over centuries back and forth. And so they, they honestly kind of despise each other. But then throughout the battles, throughout all of their experiences together, they become, they become like brothers in arms. And I love the running gag they have of counting their kills in each battle and how Gimli's always like getting angry because Legolas like takes out a giant elephant and then a dozen people. He's like, still counts as one. Only counts as one. <laughs> and then in Battle Hums Deep, Gimli's like proud of himself. He's like, already up seven. And then and then Legolas is like, I'm at 24. <laughs> I love the rivalry. Never thought I'd die side by side then, by a, with an elf. What then, about side by side with a friend? <laughs> <laughs> and then when when he tells Aragorn, I mean to a throw, dwarf. A, oh yeah, yeah, elf. Yeah. yeah. When he tells Aragorn to throw him, he's like, "Don't tell the elf." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Legolas is great. He has a lot to do in the first and then the second film, but the third he's kind of just like there. in the battles, basically. Yeah, he's basically just a warrior. Um, and his best moments include representing the elves on the council and joining the fellowship uh, until seeing it's to its end. His, fr- his friendship with Gimli, like we've been talking about, is one of the best moments of the trilogy, especially for Legolas. Helm's Deep, Legolas is such a badass. He just takes so many people up. But anytime Legolas is using his bow, it's one of the most exciting parts of that movie for sure. He never runs out of bows. It's, I mean, arrows. arrows. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, and Yeah, and just in general. I think actually he takes arrows out of people he kills to yeah, he restock, does. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, refuel. That, something about the trailer for the new one I liked is when the elf uh, warrior catches the bow in midair and reshoots yeah. it. So stuff like that I think is really cool that they're doing with the new series. I'm sure we'll see more stuff like that. But um, you can assume that Legolas is just using the other other bows or taking mm-hmm. them out of people. 100%. But Legolas is a really terrific character, great warrior. But again, he kind of just like his importance to the plot really just kind of dwindles by the third film. He's really just there as a warrior. But he's also, he's just a very trustworthy, dependable guy. Honorable person. Yeah. Very loyal. Like he'll always text you back. Great hero. He'll, yeah. <laughs> he won't <laughs> left you unseen. Next up at number eight, we have Gimli. He is a dwarf and he is 140 years old when the events of the film take place. Gimli was the son of Glowing, a dwarf of the house of Durin and a member of the Fellowship of the Ring and unlike other dwarves he readily fought alongside elves in the War of the Ring against Sauron and then Gimli I think he is a great breath of fresh air and comedic relief throughout the entire franchise yeah Gimli's got intense brute strength being a dwarf he's very fast on, on, on the ground he's not a, he's a dwarf we're great sprinters like he doesn't <laughs> like to run long distances though but he's still a very skilled fighter and very powerful, just like Legolas and Aragorn, like the ability to run, like they run like, what is it, like 40 miles in like a day or something like that. It's something crazy that they're able to They can run up. very fast. Yeah, yeah. so they, they are, have high endurance and just yeah. great warriors. And some of Gimli's best moments include, I think, striking the ring with his axe at the Council of Elrond and the axe shattering is one of the most shocking moments in the first act of that movie because you're like, holy crap, even that couldn't destroy the ring. Uh, his friendship and competition with Legolas is always so great and fun. And then uh, we, you brought up earlier being tossed by Aragorn at Helm's Deep. I think is one of the funniest moments in the trilogy for sure. Yeah, he's just someone who's always we're happy to see on screen. He lightens things up. He lightens up the mood. I love when he when they come across Merry and Pippin's getting high outside of Isengard. <laughs> I love that <laughs> sequence. That's really funny. Uh, but uh, Gimli, played by the John talented Reese. actor, yeah, John Reese, and he's actually in Indiana Jones and a bunch of other things you've seen him in, although you might not recognize him. He is a scene stealer for John sure. John Reese Davis. John Reese Davis. He's actually the tallest person in the Fellowship of the Ring in real life. Ironically, yeah. 
Moving on to number nine, we have Saruman, Saruman. who's about the same age as Gandalf, his oldest time, basically. Uh, Saruman, also known as Saruman the White, was the first of the Order of Istari, the wizards, who came to Middle-earth as emissaries of the Valor in the Third Age. He was the wizard's leader and the chief of the White Council that opposed Sauron. His extensive studies of dark magic, however, eventually led him to desire the One Ring and lust for power. I believe that's in the books, but in the movies it's more explained like he seems... He calls it futile to inevitable. fight and oppose yeah. Sauron. It's inevitable that Sauron will win. We can't beat him, so we might as well join forces with him. Yeah, you can't have three scenes of him. You got to like, know his intentions immediately. Yeah, so I th- in the books, he's a little more morally gray, but in the movies, he's obviously an antagonist mm-hmm. and takes advantage of Gandalf and tries to corrupt Gandalf as well. But, you know, Saruman... We like we said was supposed to oppose Sauron and the evil forces on Middle Earth, but eventually joined him. There are a lot of great villains in this franchise. They did a he did a great job crafting these characters, and Saruman is another excellent one. Where that battle between him and Gandalf in the first one, the the wizard fight, is so epic and unbelievable. All practical effects too. It's uh, it's really terrific what uh, Peter Jackson pulled off. And you can see how powerful he is compared to someone like Gandalf the Grey, who is, he can put up a little bit of a fight, but next to that, he's not really doing anything. But also, Saruman's biggest addition to the plot is the building of Sauron's army. He breeds the orcs, he he destroys the, the wood of Isengard to fuel the the fires of the army, and he basically... Helps create this gigantic fighting force. Yeah, he just yeah he destroys the woods yeah. around Isengard. And the Isengard is the is where he lives. That tower and it's everything. His crib. And so, and we all know Saruman was played by the great Christopher Lee, who passed away in 2015. And Christopher Lee was a massive fan of the Lord of the Rings franchise of novels written by Tolkien. He's I think he was the only person involved in the productions of the films that actually met Tolkien in real life. It was his desire to play Gandalf, but I think he was actually perfectly cast as Saruman. They actually used him as um, for advice while making the movies because he knew so much about the knowledge of Middle-earth and Tolkien's writing. So he was there kind of like assisting Peter Jackson about the lore as they were making the movie. He also he wanted to play Gandalf, but at the time, Peter Jackson saw him as too old to do the physicality, whereas Ian McKellen, I think, was like 10 to 15 years younger than Christopher Lee was. So he ultimately agreed to play Saruman. Next up at number 10, we have Arwen, played by Liv Tyler. She is 2,901 years old. Arwen was the half-elven daughter of Elrond and Celebrian. She was often called Arwen Undamil or Evanstar. Now, the way that Arwen and Aragorn met, there's great memes where it's like, <laughs> Elrond's like, well, I have a new boy who's come to stay with us. His name's Aragorn. And it's like, Arwen's just like, ooh, who's this boy? <laughs> it's, it's, there's a couple great memes. You have and to it's Liv Tyler in a movie from the 90s where she's wearing like an al- a teenager. She's album. like, yeah. ooh, who yeah. is this boy? It's, really, it's really great. But actually, they didn't meet until Aragorn was 20 years old because she was living with her grandmother Galadriel and Lorien at the time. So when Aragorn was 20, that's when they first met in Rivendell and Aragorn fell in love with her at first sight. And Arwen, she doesn't actually have that much in the books, but Peter Jackson saw her as a strong character and also important for Aragorn's plot and understanding his character. So he threw in a lot of new scenes for her, especially in Fellowship. Yeah, she's great in Fellowship yeah. because she saves Frodo from the ring race by bringing her to Rivendell in time. And then with the horse chases epic, the the yeah. river horses. That spell she cast. That's yeah. really terrific as well. 
Um, also, uh, sneaking up on Strider without him seeing. What's this? Like she says, um, catching a catching a ranger off his guard, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, giving Aragorn her necklace is really emotional moment because I think the love between Arwen and, and Aragorn is one of the most important parts of the trilogy to help us really emotionally connect with the story rather than it just always being about war and, and, and death. And also she chooses love over over life. She chooses to be with Aragorn making herself mortal in term, instead of living with her people and living forever. Yeah, and their reunion at the end of Return of the King after Aragorn is crowned is one of the most moving parts of the entire trilogy. And she, she has a lot of great lines. One of my favorite that she says is when Aragorn's trying to refuse her from accepting mortality, he, she says, I would rather share one lifetime with you than face all of the ages of this world alone. And also, I think it was really smart for Jackson to be like, we need more female voices in these in these stories, in these movies. So adding more of her was a great addition to the plots. Wouldn't it be funny if um her dad made a song for Lord of the Rings? <laughs> I don't want to die alone. <laughs> I just want to be with you, oh, Aragorn. I, I love that beard so, so much. Let's <laughs> live in Gondor forever. <laughs> the greatest thing I've ever do. Oh, my God. I miss you, love it. baby. <laughs> And I don't okay, want to get it. <laughs> get it. <laughs> Moving on. Next up at number 11, we have Pippin, who is... The youngest character, I believe, in the franchise. Correct me if I'm wrong. Not no. Uh, Eomir is younger. He's 27. Oh, okay, gotcha. And um, Eowyn's younger. Eowyn's younger. Okay, yeah. so Pippin's only 29. Um, he is. Uh, his full name is Peregrine Took, um, known as Pippin, and he was a Hobbit of the Shire, one of Frodo's youngest and closest friends. Also a member of the Fellowship. He also, along with Merry, get on their own adventures. Adds a lot of humor, and I think that Pippin and Merry. Um, are a couple of the most relatable characters because they seem like us, like a couple of just boneheaded guys. I mean, I'm not a bonehead. <laughs> Speak for yourself, bro. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I love Pippin. He's very silly, but he's also very brave and honorable. And I love how Pippin and Mary just joined Sam and Frodo by chance, by accident. You know, they're stealing carrots and, and, and vegetables from a from a farm, from a gardener. And then they just accidentally get put on this journey in this course with Sam and Frodo as they're leaving the Shire. And Perry, Pippin has a lot of great moments, for example, joining the Fellowship. Uh, I love when he knocks down the skeleton in the Mines of Moria. <laughs> he messes up the most. Yeah, he does. He messes up a ton because then he also looks into the orb and sees Sauron. I the mean, Palantir. Yeah, yeah, and then that's what he sees the future of their next move of the enemy army. Exactly. Yeah. Um, convincing Treebeard in the end to attack Isengard, though, is very honorable and heroic as well. The sacking of Isengard is great. One of the funniest moments is when him and Merry are smoking and eating the salted pork when everyone arrives. They're like, we're stealing, sitting on a battlefield of victory. <laughs> they're smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and also, he has a lot to play in terms of when we're ta- we're with Denethor, um, the, the steward of Gondor. He pays fealty to Denethor and also is instrumental in saving Faramir's life from being burned alive. True. So he becomes a guard of the Citadel at Gondor and then at the end of the war he actually becomes a knight of gondor knighted by aragorn and he has one of the best scenes of the of the franchise where uh be, by order of gandalf he lights the first beacon at minas tirith to send word to rohan that gondor seeks help he does a lot in the third film he really does he's an instrumental player for sure yeah saving Fa- faramir and then the final battle just in general just charging yeah. forward 
Yeah. With just bloodlust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want orc blood. Let's go. <laughs> and then number 12, we of course have Mary, who is 37 years old, a little older than Pippin. Uh, Mariotic Mary Brandybuck was the hobbit of the Shire and one of Furrow Baggins' cousins and closest friends. And he has many great moments as well. He's he's like Pippin, but less silly, maybe more more stern. You he's could a little say. more mature. Yeah, he's, yeah, and, he's he, and he like scolds Pippin for messing up, but he likes to have yeah. fun like Pippin. You know, they set off that fireworks like this was my idea, this was your idea, this was your idea. Mm-hmm. So they both get into trouble together. They're just two peas in a pod. They're best buds. <laughs> you can't think of them without each other in their lives. Uh, they have Pip, Mary's best moments include joining the Fellowship, sacking of Isengard. Some of the same as Pippin for sure. He also teams up with Eowyn, where she disguises herself as another Rohan rider to ride into the final battle at Fields of Pelennor, and she and he are both instrumental in defeating the Witch King. Yeah, he stabs the Witch King in the leg, which is pretty cool, yeah. allowing Eowyn to stab him right in the goddamn face. Then I uh, am no man. Boom! Boom! Right in the face. Ki- See Witch you King. later, bro. And then the final battle as well, charging forward, just endlessly brave. And, and him and Pippin just, just grow so much as characters from when you first see them being silly goofballs, getting into trouble, letting off the fireworks, stealing vegetables. So now they're knights and heroes and mm-hmm. just true heroes of Middle-earth. They're going to come home like bosses, like total bosses. <laughs> <laughs> Next up at number 13, we have Bilbo Baggins, who at the start of this film is 111 years old. He is obviously, we all know, the uncle of Frodo and the protagonist of The Hobbit, played brilliantly by both these actors. Bilbo is extremely charming, lovable, and a protector to Frodo, although he understands that the ring has poisoned him in many ways and must escape it. He's also legendary in the Shire for all the adventures he's been on. Yeah, so I know a lot of people are wondering why we have Bilbo so low on this list at number 13. It's because he's really just only in the first one. He's in the in the last one, obviously, but because he's not a main player in general for the whole trilogy, and we know he's such a terrific character, but like for the Lord of the Rings franchise, he still like doesn't have a ton to do in the second and third films. Even the first film, he doesn't have a, a ton to do after the first act. So because of his limited screen time and involvement with the plot, that's why we have him at number 13. Exactly. Well said. <laughs> you look like you're like about to burst out laughing. No. Okay. I was, th- I was, well, what happened was I looked at Boromir as being next and I was thinking about the video we made where I was like, Boromir. <laughs> the whole time I was just talking about Bilbo, I was looking at you. You're like holding back a laugh. Like, Am I saying something funny? I just couldn't, I can't stop thinking about the video we made. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, but Bilbo has a ton of great moments, which mostly come in the first film. So the farewell party is very entertaining. The film opens up where he's kind of like the protagonist of this first act going forward. Also, you really see the psychological toll that the ring can have on somebody where, with Bilbo specifically, where he doesn't want to get rid of it. And then we get catch a glimpse of like the monster inside Bilbo later on when him and Frodo are reunited in Rivendell. And he sees the ring on his chest, and he wants to grab him. You see the like the monster come out of him for just a split ah! second. <laughs> uh, giving Frodo his sword sting, which glows when orcs are near, and also the elven chainmail. And then the final film when he takes the ship with the elves. And also, you got to give Bilbo a lot of credit for giving up the ring after having it for so long. Mm-hmm. It's something most people, most characters, I think, would not have been able to do, but... At the behest of Gandalf, he agrees, and it's difficult at first for him to give up the ring, and eventually he just like drops it and is like, "Peace out, I'm go- I'm gone." And so he giving up the ring was vital to the story working. Next up, we have Boromir. Boromir. Now, Boromir 
is probably the most joked about character in the entire l Tolkien lore. So many memes have been cre created about Boromir and Sean Bean in general. But Boromir, I think, is a great character because he has such a great redemption arc in the first film. You know, he's he's a, he's a valiant warrior of Gondor. He's got he's excellent in combat and skill. The eldest son of Denethor, who is steward of Gondor, and obviously the favorite, favorite child. <laughs> People of Rohan admired him. And the older brother of Faramir, of course. Great brother, though. But, you know, yeah. from the get-go, Boromir is trying to use the ring as a, as a tool, as a yeah. weapon against the Dark Lord, against the evil uh, on the doorstep of Gondor. He doesn't understand that it can, it should never be used as a weapon. And also yeah. his rivalry with Aragorn is very telling of his character early in the film where he will never bow to Aragorn, son of Arathorn, the supposed true king of Gondor, because he's been so corrupted by his father that he thinks that he's like the true heir of Gondor eventually over Aragorn. But... By the end of the th of the first film, he sacrifices himself to protect the hobbits, to protect Frodo, to protect the ring, and he really just understands the wrongs he's made. And there's even deleted scenes where he eventually, I think, he accepts Aragorn as the king, as the king yeah. of Gondor. Yeah, when he, he he speaks to him on his death, when he's is dying. that is that in the, in the movie? Is in the first movie? In the movie. Okay, never mind. Yeah. That was a deleted. Yeah, scene. yeah he's, I don't know why. he's like on the edge of death. Sometimes he... I get mixed up between the extended editions and the theatrical releases because I've seen the extended editions a few times. Hey, man, you're doing great. Because those have those are th all long. I'm, I'm sure no one's gonna take that personally. <laughs> <laughs> so he's flawed but honorable, and he also shows he illustrates the attractive allure of the ring on on others because he's constantly like being allured by it when. Frodo drops the ring on the mountain in the snow and he picks it up and he's just like, you see him staring at it and he's like, you can see like, he doesn't want to give it to Frodo, but he has to, he gives it back to him. And, and, but he also, he has so many great qualities, but again, what people, what's, what's easy to forget is that how the ring can corrupt you and turn a good man like, um, Boromir into a villain. Or even a, a bad father can yeah, corrupt somebody. Exactly. Because you can imagine if he had a, a more honorable father, he would have been a great man from the yeah. get-go. Although, I think he is a great man. But he is pretty stubborn, though. That's true. But there's a deleted scene with him and Faramir, Faramir and, and another one with his, their father. And they Faramir and Boromir seem like very good brothers, and they seem like they have good heads on their shoulders for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let's see what we got next. We have... Oh, it's your turn. Next up at number 15, we have Eowyn, who is one of the youngest characters in this franchise at the age of 24. She was a shield maiden of Rohan, daughter of Eomin and Theoden, younger sister of Eomir, who is played by Carl Urban, and the niece of King Theoden. So Theoduin was Theod her. Theoduin. Theod Theoduin. How could I forget? Not Theoden. How could I forget? Theoden is the king of Rohan. She also stands Aragorn big time. <laughs> <laughs> but then she ends up uh, marrying Faramir and they have a son with him. We all stand Aragorn, yeah, let's be honest. Who doesn't? Eowyn is a great character. You know, she has some really terrific moments, for example, reluctantly obeying Theoden's orders to stay behind and lead the people of Rohan toward Doris in order to shelter in the White Mountains, but also sneaking into the battle of Fields of Pelennor and Minas Tirith with Mary is just such an honorable thing to do where she's going to fight. You know, she's told because she's a woman she can't fight. She's not allowed to fight for those she loves and cares about. But she says, F that. I'm going to dress up as a soldier. I'm going to ride this horse out to battle. And I'm going to go to war no matter what anyone says. Not only that, I'm going to kill the goddamn witch king and stab him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead, bro. <laughs> She's a terrific character. Yeah, and she, she shows a lot of great leadership qualities as well as a great female character who 
can do what any man can do. And I think that's ultimately what the symbol of her character is, is she's showing that, you know, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I don't belong here in these battles. And I deserve to be here. And I am just as capable, if not more capable, than most of you. And she does that with Mary because they make fun of, like, Aramir makes fun of Mary because uh, it's not his heart that I doubt. It's the, the length of his of his reach. Yeah, his reach. You know, something yeah. like that. And she's like, why can't he fight for those he loves and cares about? It's the same thing. Why can't Eowyn do yeah, that? Carl, yeah, Carl. Why can't he Carl fight Urban? Carl? Jeez, Scotty. <laughs> or no, he's not Scotty. What's his name on Star Trek? Can't Doc, remember. Doc, Doc something yeah, like that. Yeah. Anyways, Eowyn is a terrific character. We stand her, and then that's so great that her and Faramir end up together. They're a cute couple. That, you know, kind of unites some bloodlines between exactly. Gondor and Rohan. Yeah. Number 16, we have Elrond, played yes. by Agent Smith. <laughs> His age approximation is over 6,000 years old. Elrond is the half-elven Lord of Rivendell, was one of the mighty elf rulers of old who lived in Middle-earth from the First Age to the beginning of the Fourth Age. He was the father of Eladon and Elrohir, and Arwen, and the eventual wife, who was the eventual wife of Aragorn. Elrond has some terrific moments in this film. For example, the opening sequence battle... Um, where he is part of the last alliance of elves and men and where he also is with Isildur as they make it inside Mount Doom, but Isildur is unable to drop the ring into the pits and the lava of Mount Doom to finally destroy the ring. But that's also called, that's called the Battle of Daggerlad, the battle between Sauron and his forces. I think fostering Aragorn as an infant is one of the most important parts of the franchise, even though it's not in the movies, but just the fact that he did that means he's just a very honorable person and still respects the the truce and respect between men and elves. Council of Elrond is one of the coolest parts of the first film, getting all these different characters and creatures and beings together. But I think finally accepting Arwen's decision that she wants to become mortal is one of the most important character moments for Elrond because he's in denial of it. He tries to lie to her about things. She keeps his visions of the sun from her. And so he's trying to there keep was her. A, there was a boy. <laughs> you have the power of foresight. <laughs> and so the acceptance of Arwen wanting to become mortal, letting her make her own decisions in her life is very important for and, Elrond. And then also uh, finally convincing Aragorn to embrace who he is and what he's supposed to be as the king. Put away the ranger. Become who you were born to be. And also he repairs the sword for him to use. And... He's also, Elrond is going to be one of the characters from this film franchise that are going to be in the Amazon TV show. I think he's going to be one of the leads. Yeah. It's going to be like, it seems like Elrond and Galadriel. and Galadriel will be the leads. Yeah. Next up, speaking of Galadriel, <laughs> at number 17, we have Galadriel, played infamously by Kate Blanchett. Uh, she is about 7,000 years old. She was the Lady of the Woods of Lothorian, which she ruled with. Celeborn, her husband, one of the greatest elves in Middle-earth, she surpassed nearly all others in beauty, knowledge, and power. And she is well known as being basically the voice of the franchise, narrating what's going on. Just hearing Kate Blanchett's voice in the opening credits of the first one, it's just like it gives you goosebumps. She's such a talented actor, even, even though this was very early on in her career. And she perfectly embodies Galadriel. And also Galadriel plays an important part to play in terms of, like I said, showing Frodo the possible future if they should fail this mission. Plus also the file of Galadriel, which she gave to Frodo to use mm -hmm. as light in dark places made from the brightest light or the brightest star. Uh, that's a really important artifact that is used by Frodo and then Samwise to defeat Shelob. Yeah, 100%. Number 18, we have the Witch King of Angmar, yeah. who is the Lord of the Nazgul. I got him right here. Led by... 
And he was star on second in command in the second and third ages. Wow, he's such a great. I think the character design alone is why we have him on this list. Just he's just such a badass. This, yeah. The weaponry. I want to see mask. Witch King Origins. Yeah, <laughs> his true identity is unknown, so we can rewrite it. Once a mortal king of men, he was corrupted by one of the nine rings of power, becoming an undying wraith in the service of Sauron. After Sauron's defeat at the last alliance, he eventually reappeared to found the evil realm of Angmar, where he gained the epithet. Which king and ruled for almost seven centuries until the kingdom of Arnor was conquered. I guarantee we see him in the TV show. I hope so, hundred percent. Because well, is it the? the it's going to take place in the second age then, or the first age? I can't remember. I believe the first age. Well, if he's maybe if he's second in command, if he's in the second and third ages, then maybe not. Yeah, but also they're just writing a ton of stuff, so maybe they can just. I'm sure it, we'll see ring raids. We'll probably see ring raids. He's one of the coolest villains of the yeah, film, exactly. And he, like his costume design, riding that beast, he's just a terrifying villain. He and he only says a few words, but I mean, I, I would love to see more of him in some kind of adaptation. You know, something's going to happen, but seeing him more as a villain was so great, uh, and a great death as well at the hand of Aomir. And he. Uh, Eowyn. <laughs> Sorry, these these names are throwing me Don't off. Worry, I'm here to correct you, bro. <laughs> he also is the the wraith who stabs Frodo in the Fellowship yes. of the Ring and gives him that wound which will never heal, which is one of the reasons why he goes with the elves at the end of the final film. That's just one of the reasons. But, you know, that wound from the Witch King will never heal. Will always, he'll always feel the blade inside of it. Aragorn messes them all up. He's yeah. like, yo, you want to fight? Let's throw <laughs> down. Um, but, you know, he has a lot to do with the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Pelennor Fields. He also killed King Theoden exactly, during the Battle yeah. of the Fields of Pelennor. After meeting his fate to Eowyn. Number 19, we have Theoden, not Theodwin, <laughs> his brother. Theoden, the king of Come Rohan. Come up with some new names, guys. He's 71 years old in this film, in the trilogy. He was the 17th king of Rohan, the last of the second line of the royal house of Errol. Excellent actor. He did a terrific job. And he has one of the most tragic scenes where after they bury his son and you see he's like in these in the field where all these mountains of earth have grown over the the graves of uh, people who have passed away and these beautiful flowers grow on them. And he actually this actor improvised the line, uh, no father, no parent should bury their child. And he just starts weeping. Really powerful moment. Yeah, he's speaking to Gandalf right yeah. there. And that's after he's been released from the curse, which is one of the best moments he's yeah. released from, by Gandalf the White from the curse of Saruman. Saruman on him with the help of Wormtongue. He's got great moments in Helm's Deep. He's got a little bit of arrogance where he's like, this is all you can muster. Is this all you... And then all of a sudden the explosion, explosion. happens. Like, bro, you spoke a little too soon. But, you know, he does take a lot of Gandalf's advice. Not At first, he, he should have taken their advice to yeah. go to Minas Tirith and go to Gondor first and not wait for the beacons, but he's just trying to be a good king and do the best thing for his people. But he is stubborn as well as, because, you know, of the history between Rohan and Gondor. Where was Gondor? Where was Gondor? So that's why he's like, we got this, we're going to do this on our own. So that was a mistake for sure. But he does hear the call of the beacons and aids Rohan at Minas Tirith. Eventually they show up just at the end of that battle. The Helm's Deep, though, he's a great leader when he takes Aragorn's advice and he heads out into battle despite the sure death awaiting them, which doesn't happen. And then he leaves Eowyn in charge of Rohan. Should he die? Yeah. Yeah, and the the final moments he has with Eowyn is really tragic, but also beautiful at the time. He's like, I know you have face. <laughs> Ewan. <laughs> it's really nice. Really nice. Okay, it's time for the last one. At number 20, we have Treebeard. Yes. Age 17,000. So actually much younger than Gandalf. <laughs> Treebeard, 
Treebeard, also known as Afangorn, was the oldest of the Ents left in Middle-earth, an ancient tree-like being who was a shepherd of the trees. He had a very tall and stiff-limbed appearance. <laughs> being a tree. <laughs> he also had a gigantic nose. And bark-like skin and leafy hair. <laughs> uh, Treebeard's really great. very wise and interesting. Uh, oddly funny as well. And just the sacking of Isengard is a really terrific moment in scene. Finally taking the advice of the young hobbits. Hobbits sounds like orcs. orcs. And he's very funny. And I love the, the language of the trees of the Ents is so slow. After like several hours, he's like, oh, we just started. We always said this hello to each other. In the book, it's so much worse. Yeah, like, oh, we, like, have, we have to like t- have a long conversation. Yeah. Then we'll take a break. Then we'll have another conversation. Yeah, yeah. It takes them forever to have that conversation. But the sacking of Isengard is one of the best moments in the Two Towers. It's such a great scene and sequence where they take it back. They destroy Isengard, stripping Saruman of his powers and everything. Great visual effects. It's unbelievable how he pulled that scene off. It looks, it still holds up to this day. He used a. He didn't use all CGI. That's why he used a lot of, you know, real prop work, miniatures, combining it with CGI, which is why it still looks so stunning. And then honorable mention, we have Faramir. Faramir, Boromir's younger brother, who is the least like child of Denethor. The biggest disappointment in Denethor's life. <laughs> he seems like a good guy too, yeah. but um, you know, Faramir, he's got a lot of screen time in the second film, obviously. And he's a solid character, and you might recognize the actor from 300. He's the voice of that movie. Terrific. He might have the best voice in this in this entire franchise. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, he's a he's the narrator of 300. Yeah, yeah. Excellent voice. Warriors. Yeah. But um, Firemere is a solid character. Just didn't make the cut. He's Not pretty quite. close, but Not we quite. like him a lot, so we added him. And then he's a also, Irinor. Hold on. Who? Ear and ear. Ear to ear. From the nation of ear and ear. Aomer, who is Eowyn's brother, nephew of Theoden. Carl. Carl Urban. Yeah. Another solid character. Doesn't have a ton of do. He's just a warrior for the most part. Doesn't have a ton of scenes. Pretty decent amount. I mean, decent amount of dialogue, but he's just a solid character. He's a good dude. Good dude. Good dude. Seems like a cool guy to get some mead with. <laughs> some mead. Although he does make fun of Mary. It's so mean. <laughs> But um, these are the yeah. It's it's tough to. There's still so many other characters that we could put on the list, but we wanted to do top twenty. Our re- top twenty. Get really specific. Yeah, these are our top twenty. If you guys, so Sam's our number one. If you have a different number one, let us know in the comments. I'm curious to yeah, see. Send us your top three and top ten, top five, whatever, yeah. top twenty. And I hope you all liked our uh, outfits today. Yeah, this was a, a blast to talk about. We love talking about Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth. We always try to make up opportunities to do it in episodes for it. So I'm you know sure- what the the wigs make us look more like twins than ever. Yeah, it's yeah. true that does. So I'm sure we'll revisit Lord of the Rings at some point soon. we got to do The Hobbit eventually. We'll do that this year, we promise. But thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Take care. For Frodo. For Frodo. Gandalf. Gandalf. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.